0: We talk a lot about the power of words, teaching kids to put words to their feelings, modeling emotional literacy. But the flip side of talking, that critical flip side, is listening. What happens when you don't feel heard? What's the toll on your mental health, royal or not? Welcome to Fluster Clucks, where we talk worry and other big feelings with Lynn Lyons. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions.
1: Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster and I will help you find your way. Lynn, I think Oprah's interview
0: with Harry and Meghan made the public conversation around mental health take a big turn this week.
1: I think so too. And there's been so many interesting responses to it, which have been kind of illuminating about how people react, how people believe and disbelieve and how people question. But it it really is this interesting view of how mental health issues are discussed and how people are comfortable or uncomfortable with them all the different reactions. It's been pretty amazing.
0: I was talking with my husband tonight at dinner and when people in our culture, Americans are always like, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? It's very American to say, oh, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's just a statement. There's no meaning behind it. And that interview was in fact, probably the most authentic, hi, how are you? Conversation that we're simply not used to having. If you were to talk to everyone in your life, and have a really authentic and very open conversation. Hi, how are you? That is, in fact, how many conversations would be like that. It's so simple, and yet it's so
1: powerful. And I think what's interesting as you say that, is that that's how every conversation that I have in my office is. Hi, how are you? That's how it starts. And they say, I'm really awful. Or... I need to tell you something, or I've been doing pretty well, or I'm exhausted, but it's behind the walls of a therapist's office. It's in secret. It's things that people are afraid to say out in the world. And boy, they said it out in the world, didn't they? And we watched the world react. Right. What would it be like if those conversations
0: were not reserved for the privacy of a therapist's office? Right. But if
1: we right. culturally
0: accepted the ups and
1: downs. Yeah. I think we give it good lip service. I think we'd like to pretend that we do that. But I think that based on the response to this, it's very clear how uncomfortable we are with it. Just so everybody knows, you and I had a conversation about this this afternoon. And it really is so much about listening. And it really got me thinking as I was watching that interview, and I've listened to the responses to it, that we are in a time where it really is important to think about the power of listening. And so many people have had experiences that they have kept to themselves or that have been behind the walls of a therapist's office, which is a great place to have those conversations, by the way. It's just so important for us to pay attention.
0: And you think that that listening, you mean listening with all family members, adults to adults, adults to children, Say more.
1: So, listening when somebody is telling you their story—that when teenagers right now are talking about what they're feeling—and there's not much we can do to solve the problem of the pandemic. Although, I, you know, I'll keep saying this: we're in the home stretch. We're, we're at mile twenty-two. But when kids are talking about it, when your partner is talking to you about what they're feeling or what they're going through, there is so much. Amazing connection that happens when we listen to people's stories. This is something that I have to pay attention to because I am by professional design and reputation, and is being able to get in there and problem solve. I'm very active as a therapist. I want to do things that help people change and fix and adapt. And sometimes, amidst all that, it's not that that's bad, of course, but there is such a place for listening. You know, there's the podcast that I referenced that Celeste Headley did. There's this interview that Megan and Harry did. There's so much information coming out right now and people talking about grief because of the first anniversary that we're all experiencing and we're all remembering where we were on March 10th or where we were on March 12th. And this idea of being able to listen to what people are saying, to really hear their stories, I think is so valuable. And I think we need to talk about it. What you're
0: saying is you don't see us listening. You don't see our families always listening well. So say more
1: about that. So we're in an environment in which the comeback is the important part, the response. We're in an environment right now where it's all about debate and it's all about disagreement and it's all about saying things that challenge each other. And all of that, again, is is really healthy when it's done well, but just sitting and listening to somebody, just hearing their story and acknowledging it without needing to step into this, yeah, I had the same experience, or me too, or that doesn't sound so bad, or well, why don't you try this? And again, I'm a therapist who consistently says, let's think about what we can do differently but i just think there is after all we've been through and all we're learning about mental health and all we're hearing in this very consistent drumbeat of growing panic i think the idea that we just listen i think really needs to be much more in the forefront of our minds Then perhaps it's been for a really long time. There's just so much noise. What does good listening look like if you're a parent of a teenager? It means being empathic. It means saying things like, I really hear what you're saying. It means sometimes letting them say everything and not jumping in with advice or stories of your own or solutions. Sometimes it's just saying, I hear what you're saying. It's those very simple empathic statements that I think are so, so powerful and seem so simple and yet are so meaningful to people who want to be heard. Sometimes there is nothing you can do. I will tell you some of the most powerful experiences that I have had as a therapist, and I've had them as a human being too, because I can't separate one from the other is when I've sat with people in tremendous pain and just listened and said nothing in my profession. There's all these boundaries that we're supposed to put up and all these things that I was taught when I was in graduate school about what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And when somebody is in tremendous pain, when I'm sitting with somebody who is telling me the story of the death of somebody that they cherished, I don't need to do anything except to, to sit with them and hold their hand and sometimes cry with them. It's just a matter of how do we connect through listening? And I think that one of the things that happens when we jump into things and we offer solutions and we tell our own story and we let people know in all sorts of ways that their story makes us uncomfortable, it's a way of protecting ourselves and it's a way of lessening connection for sure. Mm-hmm. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it, It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass. Gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes, and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass Fluster. Get fifteen percent off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster.
0: In the interview with Oprah and Megan, and she discussed the nadir of her mental health while pregnant and being extremely isolated, and she was not really allowed to go and see her friends, Mm -hmm. and she got to that point. There's a huge parallel with the number of people who've been so isolated in a lockdown and why we've seen our teenagers particularly really suffer in their mental health by being in this forced sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. If you're a parent who you think your teen is one of these teens, what do you do to encourage listening and encourage connection?
1: So I think one of the things, you know, I'm a big fan of just sort of putting it out there and to even if you've got a teen that you are worried about because they're isolated or they're lonely and maybe they're telling you that and maybe they're angry or they're more withdrawn, they're keeping to themselves And I think that one of the things as a parent sometimes is that we feel like there needs to be a big, long conversation, that we need to have a talk in which something is resolved. I think it's really okay to say to kids, particularly teenagers, hey, you know, I've been hearing a lot recently about how important it is for parents to listen to what their teenagers are struggling with right now. Because there's not much we can do in this moment to fix all of the things that have gone down this year and all of the things you've missed and all of the things that you're missing. And I just want to let you know that I'm going to really pay attention to how I listen to you. And I want to let you know that I'm here to listen. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit and have a serious conversation with me. It doesn't mean that we have to have some face to face momentous conversation. But I just want to let you know that if you want to talk to me, Or if you want to talk to anybody else, I am really going to work on just listening to what you have to say, because I think there's great value in me hearing what's going on inside of you. Even if I can't fix it, I want you to know that I will hear you. And then they may say like, okay, thanks. Or they may say, you know, God, mom, please. But saying that out loud, I've said this before, that one of the things that teenagers say over and over again is... Even when I was brushing my parent off, they kept coming back in all sorts of ways, and I noticed. So to say out loud to your teenager, I just want to let you know that I'm going to listen, I think would be incredibly valuable. I work with a lot of families, obviously, where parents want to solve the problems. They want to fix it. People come to therapy because they want me to fix their kids. They want me to fix the problem. And I think it's okay to have that as a goal for sure, but let's just slow it down a little bit. Let's not jump over the listening and forget that that's such an important part of this process. When I sat with a mom whose child had died, there was nothing I could do, nothing. The pain was unbearable. And I just sat with her in that pain. That's all I could do. And it was incredibly, incredibly difficult, but so, so important to just sit there and listen. People are talking about what a great interview that Oprah did, what a great interviewer she was. She did a lot of listening. She was asking questions. And those two people needed to tell their story because that was the theme that kept coming up over and over and over again, is that no one was listening. I think that's an important message for us to pay attention to. Mm -hmm.
0: I wish them well. I really do. I wish them well, and I hope that they're on a path of finding a life that's in a better balance for them.
1: I think it's courageous to to put yourself out there in that way. They made themselves incredibly vulnerable, and they didn't have to do that. Right. I think that with the timing of the pandemic and the
0: impact of everyone's mental health, I think that there's something interesting happening where there will in fact be a much greater acceptance of talking about this Mm -hmm. because I think everyone understands that a lot of people have struggled this past year. So the timing of this interview is part of the zeitgeist of us opening up about this a bit more.
1: Well, and I think one of the things that struck me as she was talking is she said, now that so many people have been through this, they can relate to what it feels like because she felt trapped. She felt isolated. She felt like she couldn't get out. She couldn't connect with the people that she needed to talk to that would would be her normal supports. And she said at one point, everybody now can relate to this because this is what we've all been through. So I was in lockdown. All of us were like, Yeah. We know what it feels like to be in lockdown. And I think the other really important thing is that when we talk about anxiety and we talk about depression, I think that what this conversation may do, and I hope it does do, is for us to recognize that anxiety and depression are so much at their core social disorders, if we're going to use that word disorder. Her depression her suicidality, her despair was not because of some chemical imbalance. It wasn't because her brain was wired in a certain way. She said she didn't feel like herself. And it was based on isolation and loneliness. It was based on an inability to connect. And it was based on her feeling helpless and hopeless in a situation in which she is trapped. That is a social condition, not a medical condition. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to recognize that. And that's what's happened to the people who are struggling with this now. This lockdown and this pandemic and the stress that it's caused and the isolation that it's caused, it's a social condition. And it existed before the pandemic. We've just seen it ramped up in such an extraordinary way. That's what I was really thinking about when she was talking about her isolation. This is what happens to people when they're disconnected, when they're alone, when they feel like they're not being heard, when they're suffering and they don't see a way out, this is what leads people to feel so desperate, to feel feel so disconnected and alone. It's not a medical problem, it's a social problem. And that's where the solution lies as well. And I hope that we can begin to understand that and talk to our kids about that more openly. Right. Because when we
0: understand that it is a social problem and not a medical problem, we're going to be more effective in creating positive change.
1: And I know when I say that, I know that people feel defensive. You know, I can imagine people's sort of shoulders going up to their ears like, what is she talking about? Look, I'm just going to keep saying it. I know it's going to piss people off, but do your own research, people. Because these, the issue of connection and disconnection in our society and loneliness and isolation and rejection is huge and we just need to recognize it and talk about it. When I talk to kids that are struggling and I say to them, what would make this better for you? They say things like, I just need to figure out how to make friends. It's heartbreaking, but it's real and it's true. And we need to pay attention to that. We really do.
0: I told Lynn when we were going to start a podcast, I wanted to do a whole separate podcast just on royal chatter and it would be called as if we knew them. (laughs) So we would talk about them,
1: psychoanalyze them, make horrific judgments with no real actual information. Right. We would talk about as if we knew them based on the absolute minute pieces of information that we were able to glean from information coming out of things. Yeah. And yet have complete confidence in our theories about these people too. (laughs) That's the best part about talking about them. That's why it's as if we knew them. Like we have complete confidence in our interpretation of what's going on. Yeah, that's what totally makes it fun. And I was actually listening to this really cool podcast today about this, but in terms of listening to people's stories, and listening to what they say. And the different perspectives, when somebody tells a story, how many sides of the story there are, and it's just never one thing. I'm also watching The Affair, which is a series that was on Showtime for a while, and now it's on Netflix. And they do that interesting thing where they take it from different people's perspective. Have you, have you watched that? I've heard it's excellent, but it's a little dark for me. That's not my kind of show. Yeah, it's very dark. And I also have opinions about the way they film the sex scenes. But that's also for a separate podcast that's a third podcast and that podcast would be called it's not really like that okay but anyway (laughs)
0: uh (laughs) so join the facebook group so that you can ask lynn your question on an upcoming episode
1: and thanks for joining us for another episode of Flusterclucks. bye robin bye lynn